Hello, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online for this, the seventh installment of our series, Exiled, Hope in a Hostile World. This week, our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, will be preaching from the book of 1 Peter, chapter 4, in a message entitled, Joyful Service. Here he is with this week's message. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. Hey, uh, before we get going, I wanted to say a couple things. Uh, those that work in the barn, I really do want to say thank you. It's been amazing to be... Uh, at this place, this facility is beautiful. If you have a chance to go see that, you need to see it. It's beautiful. And it, the stuff that happens around here throughout the week, God uses this place so mightily. And I want to say thank you to you for your support uh, and you that helped with it. Because uh, ministry happens throughout the week. And again, as Jamie mentioned, the camp this week, be praying for that. Because those counselors, uh, especially, they're going to have a long week. It's hot. Uh, by Friday, they're going to have kids climbing all over them. I know how it works. And they usually look really tired by Friday. But I know for a fact that camp changes kids' lives. So I want you to be praying for that. A lot of kids, a lot of leaders. Be praying for those leaders this week as well. So let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that we can be in your house. Thank you that we can celebrate you. Thank you for this beautiful property that you've given to us to be good stewards of. Help us to use it for your kingdom and glory. Thank you for the camp that's happening here this week. The leaders that put this on, that organized it for the hundreds of kids that are going to be here who may have never known you or know who you are but are coming for a week of fun, helping to walk out changed. Be with those leaders as they impact those lives of those kids. And Lord, thank you for what you speak to us in your word. Thank you for First Peter and how it hits us everyday life. I pray that it hits us home here today. Pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. And I ask all this in your precious name. Amen. Well, if you've been with us, we've been in this series called First Peter, Hope in Hostile World. That's why this stage looks like a hostile place, although I look at this and go, man, I'd love to live here. This is a pretty fantastic place. But nonetheless, the idea of Peter talking to Christians scattered all abroad, right? He's teaching, he's talking to Christians who are living, trying to live out the life uh, in a world that's, that's tough. Right? That's really anti-Christ at the time. He's speaking to us today, right? It's no different. How do we deal with that? How do we live out the life um, as we live out life in a kind of a hostile world? And I think one of the things that we're going to see this week, uh, especially as we look at 1 Peter 4, is how we are to act as Christians. Now, we've been talking about how we deal with people, how we interact with government, how we interact with uh, family and friends and all kinds of uh, uh, government authorities over us. Last week we talked about suffering for doing good. Now what we're going to talk about is living a life that actually looks like a Christian, right? Because some people are going to go out, as Peter's talking to, they'll go out and live a life of Christian. But as soon as it gets tough, right, they're going to shy away from it. Or some people want to go out and say, you know what, I am a, I'm a Christian, I, I follow who Christ is. A lot of people in the, the culture today say they were Christian, but there's really no evidence of that. They just like to say it, right? And the closer you get to somebody, sometimes the, the more you see. Sometimes you realize people say there's something, and they're really something else. Back uh, in the last century, Dwight, Dwight L. Moody, he's a famous evangelist, talked about how in England there was a, they had an art festival, and there was a painting huge painting that from a far away uh, uh, distance, it looked like a monk who was uh, deep in prayer. So it looked like a real religious painting. He had his head bowed and he was, arms were clasped like this and people thought, what a spiritual painting that is. As he got closer, he realized it was just an old man squeezing lemons into a bowl. Right? So people thought, oh, this is a great religious painting. And then the closer they got, they realized it's something else. There was a, a, a youth leader 
One day he told, he's trying to teach middle school students. He said, uh, he was trying to teach them for First Peter, in fact, and he says, uh, why do people call me a Christian? One of the youngsters looked at him, gave a pause, and said, maybe it's because they don't know you. Uh, some, some of us come to church and we think, well, you know, I'm a Christian, I'm coming to church. There's appearance of one thing. When you get a little closer, it's something else. And that's what Peter's really, I think, hitting home here. You know, he, he's talking about how we need to live a certain life that looks transformed. One of the things I think you're going to find surprising when I say this is that salvation is not just the forgiveness of sins. Okay? We talk about salvation. We've talked about We sing about it. We talk about the forgiveness of sins. That is not only the central point of salvation. In fact, salvation is, is about a transformed life. It's not just about the fact that Christ died on the cross, and we sing about that, his sacrifice on the cross for us. He did die for us, but it's about a transformed life. In fact, many Christians would look at the symbol of the cross, which you'll see above me and, and pretty much anywhere in our culture, as the symbol of Christianity. You'll be surprised to know that in the early church, the cross, the symbol of the cross didn't appear for a few hundred years. Because the early church realizes that while the cross is central to Christ dying for us, they looked at the resurrection as the significant factor. Because Christ died, but then he rose again. It was death to sin, but it was rising again to something else, a new life. And that's what Peter's talking about here. It's not just about... It's not just about salvation, where we come and realize Christ died for us and we confess our sins. It's about the power of darkness dying and that the kingdom of God coming into us, and it's a new and transformed life. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter 4 says this. It says, right at the top, he says, therefore, in verse 1, therefore, since Christ suffered in the body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because those who suffer in the body is done with sin. As a result, they don't live the rest of their earthly lives for human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. It's such a tough language, right? You look at Peter and go, man, who's he talking to? I'm glad I'm not one of those guys, right? I was speaking to a pastor this week, wonderful pastor. He's in his 70s now, and I talked about, I said, how did you get into ministry? He said, well, I've been in ministry for that long. He, in the middle of his life, he said that God really transformed him. He said, when he was in his 30s, he said the only thing he cared about him was himself. He cared about how much money he had, what he looked like, how he was dressing. He was married, but behind the scenes, he was seeing all kinds of women, right? He was drinking. He said he felt so empty inside that he remembered the time that he remembered that Christ died for him, and that he doesn't need to live like that, that there's hope somewhere else. And there was a transformation of his life. It was a complete 180. He said it was at that point that I stopped doing what I used to do. That's what Peter's saying, transformation. Transformation. And so I said, well, how can I be praying for you? He said, well, I need you to be praying for my son. I said, well, tell me about your son. He said, well, his son's in his 30s now, too. And he's living the same way he did. He's living his life. He said he drinks all the time. He is completely unhappy, although everybody would think that he was this, like, happy guy because he's got this success. He's got a great job. He's got a great car. And he's got these women around him. Everybody would think that, but I know deep down he is hurting and broken inside. There's absolutely no hope. I need you to pray for him because it breaks my heart, Jared. He's dealing with the same thing that I dealt with. There's no transformation. And that's what Peter is saying here is, listen, 
If you want to say that you're a Christian, and he's talking to these folks all over the place, there's got to be evidence. That's why somebody once said you can't, throw, having faith is like throwing a pebble into a pond. You can't, you can't do it without creating some ripples. But some people, and then Peter's talking to them, and I'm talking to some of the, maybe the folks that are here that say, you know, I'm a Christian, I go to church. They aren't really living that, that way. Jesus t- talked to those people too in, in Matthew 23. He says this, he says, woe to you. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, he says in Matthew 23. You're hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. That's some tough language, right? Back in the New Testament, what they would do is they would whitewash. It was like a spring cleaning. They'd whitewash everything. Okay? They'd whitewash their houses, their homes, and all the tombs. They would do it in, they would do it in March. The reason they would do it in March, kind of like a spring cleaning, is because right at that time, that's when the Passover was coming. All these pilgrims were coming through. So they wanted it to look nice, right? They also wanted to whitewash all the tombs because if you touch the tomb, you're ceremonially unclean for seven days. If you're ceremonially unclean, you just made a pilgrimage for the Passover, you can't participate in the Passover. So basically your pilgrimage is out the window. So what they wanted to do is whitewash everything to make it look real pristine so that when pilgrims come in, they knew don't touch that, right? Don't touch those things. Because of the ceremony unclean. What Jesus is saying is, you're like whitewashed tombs. You, 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 you paint it really nice. But inside, you're completely dead. You're a fake. You're a fraud. That's what Jesus is saying. And people, people can pick up on it. The question is, is, the closer people get to you, what will they say? I've heard the joke. I, I shared it before. The story of the zoo. The zoo was noted for a great collection of animals. This zoo was really well known. One day the gorilla died. So the zookeeper wanted to keep up a good appearance. So he hired a guy to dress up like a gorilla and go into the gorilla enclosure. So the guy goes in and he dresses like a gorilla and he starts throwing his arms around. But he didn't really know how to act. He starts dancing around and, and squawking and all kinds of stuff and making some weird movements. He trips and falls into the lion pit right next door. He starts screaming bloody murder. Screaming, this lion's going to come devour him. And the lion comes up and looks at him and says, Shut your mouth, you're going to get us both fired. Right? <laughs> There's an appearance. The closer you get, the closer you get to things, they don't always appear that way. My question for you is the closer people get to you, do they see it? Do they see a transformed life? Some people ask, that's very superficial. Use that word superficial. It's a superficial act. Pharisees were superficial. The guy in the grill suit was superficial. What is a superficial Christian? I can tell you what a superficial Christian is. Because James talks a lot about it. A superficial Christian, first off, has a superficial confession. If you have your Bibles in James chapter 2, James 2 is a, is a great passage. It says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can their faith save them? Now we know, some of you grew up in a tradition where you, yeah, it's about works. It's about not only accepting Christ, but living a certain way. And that earns salvation. We know that Ephesians says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. That's it. You, it's by grace. By God's grace sending his son to die for you. That's it. That's what you need to understand. At the same time, there is deeds that go along with it. Why? Not because we have to, but because we want to. And some people have a superficial confession. They'll say, hey, I'm a Christian. But they don't really act like it. Some people say, I don't know how to act like a Christian. Well, that's why I encourage you to get involved in Bible studies. That's why we talk about not only engaging in the ministry but, or engaging in the church, but growing in your faith. 
Get involved in a Bible study or Bible study classes because we're trying to help you orient who Christ is and what his will is for you. But some people have a superficial confession. You know what else a superficial Christian has? They have a superficial compassion too. If you go on in, in, in James, James goes on to, to, on to say in verse 15, it says, Suppose our brother or sister is without deeds, without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself is not accompanied by action, is dead. It's a superficial compassion. We have compassion about a lot of different stuff in life, don't we? And I think it's sometimes ridiculous. Because we don't have compassion about the people around us. I was at a movie a few weeks back with my son. It was a superhero movie. And uh, I was <laughs> sitting in the back. And I'm not going to say what movie it is because I don't want to give it away. But um, at the end, the superhero died. Okay. And I'm like, okay, superhero died. The lady next to me who was in her 30s starts bawling her eyes out. <laughs> and she's right next to me. I look over it and you hear this. <laughs> and she's like losing it. To the point where she's burying her head in her like husband or boyfriend's shoulder, and she's sobbing uncontrollably because like this this movie this, this, this superhero dies, and I start laughing out loud. Right, <laughs> the, the entire theater's real quiet, and I'm cracking up because the lady next to me is just I, just devastated. I mean, just tears running down her face. Right, as soon as the light turned on, I look over because I wanted to see who this person was. Right, just so compassionate about something. And I thought, how trivial. How trivial. You're crying over a movie that it's a superhero movie, a kid superhero movie. There's a superficial compassion. Some people have a compassion for things that are so trivial. They mean nothing. It's a superficial compassion. You want to be a serious Christian, there's a deep compassion for other people. A superficial Christian also not only has a superficial compassion and a confession, but they also have a superficial conviction. Look at verse 19 of, of James. James uh, 2.19 goes on to say, he says, uh, You believe that there's one God good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Last week I talked about the, the story with Jesus and the demons. And how the demons came up and they recognized who Jesus was. He had total power, total authority, and the demons shuddered and they said, don't torture us, Jesus. Send us into the pigs. The reason I brought that up last week is because it translates to this week as well. Because even the demons recognize who Jesus is, but they don't have a life, uh, evidence of faith. They don't have a trust that he is the Messiah, the Savior. And they don't, there's no evidence of it at all. So what Peter is saying, or James is saying, is saying, listen, even the demons believe and shudder. You want to believe that there's one God good, but you need have evidence of that. It's not because you have to. It's because we want to do that. It's a, it's a superficial conviction. So that's what James says. He said, listen, it's superficial. And what Peter is saying too, he said, listen, hey, you can go out and be superficial, but people are going to figure it out. Just like the person in the zoo. We'll figure it out. You need to be serious. I shared this story sometime back about how what it takes to look like to be a serious Christian. And I bring it up here today because I think it's applicable. I, I talked about the story of how I, I used to play uh, soccer in high school. And by the way, after that service, someone said, I didn't realize you can play sports. <laughs> that hurt my feelings. Um, but nonetheless. Uh, so I played soccer. And uh, I remember I was a senior, I was the captain, and we went into the, it was the last game before the playoffs. It's one of those games, if you win, you get to go to the playoffs. 
So myself and some of the other seniors thought it'd be cool if we like, like got like, um, got not war paint, but like, um, so we spray painted our hair, right? Yes, I had hair at the time. And we, so we spray painted our, maybe that's why it fell out. Uh, but we spray painted our hair white, right? So we, we looked like really cool. We put like, uh, the black markers under, cause we were playing soccer, cause we needed that. Uh, those, that black stuff under our eyes, right? And we went out kind of like, like kind of warriors. We thought we're gonna do this thing. And it was all about how we looked, right? But we were playing terrible. We thought we'd go out there and do this thing, and, and we were going to, we, how we looked, like we're going to look tough. Meanwhile, in like the first few minutes, the guy got right behind me, I was the defender, and scored a goal. Okay? So that's one nothing. So I remember at halftime, I remember it like it was yesterday, I was sitting in the locker room, and my coach comes up to me, picks me out of the crowd, and says, Jared, looks right at me, he says, are you a senior? I said, yes. I said, are you the captain? I said, yes. He said, are you the central defender? I said, yes. He said, then act like it. Oh, oh man. So I went and I, I went right to the bathroom. I, I washed off all the hair. And he went on to talk about how, he said, listen, you guys are going out there. You're pretending like you're something that you're not. This is not how you won before. You're pretending like you're something different. He said, there's only one half of the game left. It's halftime. You lose this, you're done. We're out of this. That's it. He said, you've got to start acting like it right now. Are you, are you a senior? Yes. Are you a captain? Yes. Are you the defender? Yes. Act like it. Some people ask, like, <laughs> I didn't, at the first service, I didn't say if we won or not. So everyone was texting me, like, did you win? <laughs> I could say that we did not let anybody else score a goal. We didn't. <laughs> Our offense didn't score a goal. But we didn't let anybody else. <laughs> By the way, Nikolai, if you're watching this, you were offense. You had the chance to score that. It was... <laughs> Could have made something of ourselves. <laughs> but boy, did that really, I, I mean, it was like a kick in the rear end to say, you got to start acting like it. Well, Peter's saying it's the same kind of thing. He said, listen, if you're going to go out, you got you to start acting like it. you got to start being a serious Christian. You know what a serious Christian realizes? Right there, 1 Peter 4, 7. Well, just like you said, the serious Christian realizes there's a serious incentive out there. 1 Peter 4, 7 says what? It says, the end of all things is near. After he goes through this whole progression of being a transformed life, what he says is, he says, therefore, listen to, listen to me. The end is coming. The all, all things are coming to an end. Now you say, well, does that mean Jesus is coming back? Or does this mean the life is over? What does it mean? I say both. Whether Jesus is coming back now or in the next generation, whether we live for 50 years or 100 years, time is going by pretty quick. And that's what my coach said to us, too. He said, listen, you've got one half of this game left, right? Stop waiting around. Some people are waiting around for something. Some Christians have been, you, you've been Christians for a long time, and I don't know what it is, but you're waiting around to start acting like it. I don't know why. I've talked to a gentleman a few weeks back, been a Christian all his life. There's no evidence. I said, what are you waiting for? He's like, well, I need to get involved in ministry, or I need to get involved using my gifts. And he talked about, well, once my kids are old enough, and you know, once they're out of the house, once I have more time, or once I figure out my gifts, I said, you're just waiting around. It's just excuse after excuse. The end of all things is near. That's what Peter's saying. Listen, don't wait. Don't wait for the perfect opportunity. You say, I want to go to the Dominican Republic. As soon as I get enough money, I can do that. Don't wait. Maybe I want to get involved in ministry. Don't wait. Some people are coming up to you in your workplaces and saying they have all kinds of problems and you feel like maybe you should share with Jesus with them. Don't wait. Some of you are in schools, you're waiting until you get older. Don't wait. Some of you are older, waiting for things to get easier. Don't wait. That's what Peter's saying. It's a, serious, a serious Christian realizes there's a serious incentive. The game's coming to a close soon. Don't wait. 
It's all kinds of opportunities that we share with you on Sunday mornings. Opportunity after opportunity. Don't wait. Don't wait. I know somebody I just joined our music team the other day, and they said that they've been waiting for a round for a long time. They don't really even know why, but boy, they're glad they made the move. Don't wait. Don't wait. A serious Christian realizes there's a serious incentive. A serious Christian realizes there's also a serious instruction. Verse uh, 7 goes on to say, there, the first one's prayer. You want to show that you're a, you're a serious Christian, you've got to have a prayer life. You've got to be praying. Because prayer is something you do privately, oftentimes in your home. You could do it publicly here in church, but a serious Christian does it all the time. It's prayer. It's about God. Hey, show me the opportunities. It says in verse 7, uh, verse seven Therefore be alert in a sober mind so that you may pray. A serious Christian says, God, show me opportunities. Present something to me. Maybe it's somebody at work. Maybe it's somebody in your schools that needs to know who Jesus is. Maybe it's a ministry to get involved. Maybe it's a gift financially. Maybe it's your uh, service to the barn. Uh, you know, you're using your hands. Don't wait. Pray for those opportunities. Be, be alert and sober so that you may pray. A serious Christian realizes there's a serious instruction to pray and also to love. Verse 8 goes on to say this. He says, above all, offer, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality with one another without grumbling. I love that. We've got to love each other, right? That's the, that's the serious love. A superficial love goes to camp and it complains on Friday that the kids are hanging all over you. That's a superficial compassion. Those kids, counselors, I can tell you, they're, they'll be tired, hot, sweaty, but you won't hear anybody complaining. Why? Because they have a compassion for those kids. A superficial compassion goes to the Dominican Republic and complains about the sleeping arrangement. A superficial Christian goes to Uganda and complains about the flight. Superficial Christian comes in to church and complains that the Wi-Fi is not working. A superficial Christian says, I want to help out the kids on the north side, but the time that it takes is so hard. A superficial Christian would, runs into people at school and they think, I don't really want to talk to them because I don't like them. That's a superficial Christian. That's a superficial compassion. A, what Peter's saying says, love each other deeply. Offer hospitality without grumbling. Don't do it with grumbling. Why? Because we have a serious compassion for these people. Do you have a serious compassion? Some people do things begrudgingly. They'll go down and they don't want to work in a various thing and they don't want to do something because they're grumbling and complaining. I say that that's leading to a superficial conviction. Peter's saying, don't do it. Love covers a multitude of sins. Go out. Don't do it with grumbling. The Greek word there is gogusmos. It's, it's like grumbling behind the scenes, complaining, right? That we have got to do something. He says, listen, you want to be serious? You've got to pray, you've got to love, and you've got to, you got to serve. You've got to serve. Look at verse 10. It says, each one of you should use whatever gifts you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. I love the word various. That's where we get the word variegated. Variegated is the word for multicolored. A rainbow is a terrible rainbow if it's just red. I've never seen a rainbow that's just yellow. Variegated is the idea of multicolored. In other words, God gives multi-gifts to multi-people. It's a variegated. It's like a paintbrush that spreads multicolors around. 
We all have different gifts. We should use whatever gifts to serve others. Oh, God's given you a gift. And then he goes into two categories of gifts. Now, there's multiple gifts throughout the New Testament, real specific. Peter just talks about the categories. There's two. There's one that's speaking, and then there's one that's serving. Some people are up front. Some people are behind the scenes. The worship band, they're up front. There's people that are working down the children's ministry. They're probably behind the scenes. It doesn't matter what your gift is. What Peter's saying, you've got to use the gift. Because God is, gives it with grace and uses it in various forms, variegated, multicolored forms. Why? Because you want to paint a rainbow, you've got to paint it with all kinds of color. Some of you have such great gifts, gifts that I'll never have. Brad has a gift of worship and singing that I will never have. Some people can work in the children's ministry. I walked down, I just walked in the sanctuary over here, and I heard about 30 kids crying down there, right? And I could not, I walked through there so fast, right? <laughs> But there's people I looked in the nursery holding babies, loving on them because that's their gift. Some of you have gifts to serve. Some of you have gifts to speak. It doesn't matter which gift it is. God makes them all different. That's why 1 Corinthians 4 says, For who makes you different from anybody else? What do you have that you did not receive? If you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? I'm not up here bragging about the fact that I can stand and speak and give a sermon because I'm not doing it for me. Who makes you different? God makes you different. That's the gifts that we use to serve, but we do it joyfully, not grumbling. And when we do it, when we speak or when we serve, whether you're doing it up front or behind, we do it in God's strength. It's in the strength He provides for the purpose He intends, leading to the praise He deserves. In a few moments, we're going to sing a great song. I'm going to ask the band to come. We're going to, we're going to end with a great song because it reminds us why we do what we do. He's the King, King of my heart. A serious Christian, though, realizes that there's service to be done, that we all have a gift, we all have a part to play, that there's got to be a serious compassion, and there's got to be a serious, a serious love with that. But we've got to be praying. Do you have that? The end's coming. This isn't a doom or gloom, but the end's coming. Time's running out. Don't wait. Don't wait. God's given each of you gifts. Don't wait till you're older. Don't wish you were younger. Don't wish, wait till things got better financially or time. Get involved now. It's a serious incentive, a serious instruction, but it ultimately leads to a very, very serious intention. Because we don't do it for ourselves. I'm not up here for myself and hoping I get the glory. The, kids, the people in the kids' ministry aren't down there doing it for their glory. The people that share... God's grace with those around them at their workplaces or in their home lives aren't doing it for their own glory. They're doing it because there's a serious intention. 1 Peter 4.11 says, So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. I, I'm not doing it for me. I, I, I'm doing it because when I get to heaven, I want Him to look at me and say, Well done, good and faithful servant. He wants the same thing for you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Don't wait. Don't wait. You want to be a serious Christian? You've got a prayer, you've got to have love, you got to serve. It's as simple as that. I leave you with what my coach left me. He said the same thing to me, right? I say the same thing to you. I said, Do you know who Jesus is? Yes. Do you know that he loves you so much that he died for you? Yes. Are you willing to follow him? Yes. Are, would you say that you're a Christian? Yes. Would you say that you're transformed? Yes. Then go act like it. 
because when we go and we act like it, boy, that brings a lot of hope to a lot of people. They look at us and say, there must be something different about them. There must be something different. I want to know what that is. Are you transformed? Are you saved? Are you a Christian? Let's go act like it because there's a serious intention out there. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thanks for today. Thank you that we can come and be here and be reminded that we do all this for you. Lord, help us not be whitewashed Christians, whitewashed tombs, dead bones inside. Lord, I pray that you fill us up. Help us to feel your love, feel your hope, feel your joy. Lord, there may be some in here right now who are struggling with that, who, who, who feel like they're a whitewashed tomb, dead inside, addictions, behaviors, attitudes, all kinds of stuff. Lord, I pray that they lay that out at your feet right now, that they want that transformed life. Lord, that they are bold and courageous to come to your throne, your throne of grace, to say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. Pray that you save Wipe me clean. Lord, transform my life. I want to be a serious Christian. Lord, I pray that you be with those people that made that decision here this morning. Maybe for the first time. Maybe there's some that need to rededicate their lives, saying, listen, I've been living hypocritically. Lord, I've been there. I know what that's like. Lord, help them to step up, not wait. Get involved and be a serious Christian because you called us to. Lord, thank you for the hope that you give us, hope in a hostile world. Be with us. I pray that, again, we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well, that we'll go out and we'll act like it. And I ask this all in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we pray?